from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. So I should mention, in addition to being the pastor now of St. John's Church, you're also the co-founder and chair of Action St. Louis. That's the enormously effective activism yes. group here in the city. Yes. What do you see as the intersection between your faith in God and pushing for political change here mm -hmm. on earth? Unless more believers, that is more people of faith, take serious God's mission, which is to see humanity empowered and liberated. Unless we take that more seriously, then we, we'll have, it won't be worth it to work for something outside of the earth. So the intersection is not so much two streets or two paths crossing as much as there is no intersection. And I'm only walking down one road. I'm Sarah Fenske. Yesterday, St. Louis swore in its first ever black female mayor. And raising the roof with remarks at the inauguration for Tashara Jones was another black woman who can lay claim to the title of first. That's the Reverend Michelle Higgins. Higgins is the first black woman to be named permanent pastor of St. John's Church, the beloved community. That's the United Church of Christ Congregation in North St. Louis. And this excerpt from her invocation yesterday should give some idea of her style. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If I was in my home church up on North Grand, I would say, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. This is the day um, that black women have made. Um, neighbor, this is the day uh, that inclusion has made. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey neighbor, this is the day uh, that black power has made. This is the day uh, that organizing has made. And I would ask you to rejoice, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward, O oh precious organizer, who sat and pondered and wondered whether or not there would ever be a mayor that would look like us, think like us, move like us, or care about us. Great is your reward. And that is the Reverend Michelle Higgins, the new pastor at St. John's Church, speaking at the inauguration of St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones yesterday. And she joins us today. So the Reverend Michelle Higgins, welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I had not heard that clip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we could let you enjoy the moment of, of hearing yourself. I hope you enjoyed hearing it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember writing that and going, now, how will I deliver this? And the truly the momentum of Mayor Jones' speech um, is, is what drove my, my own energy. Such pride, such gladness. Ooh. So honored to be there. So yeah. yesterday must have been such an emotional day for you, not just the inauguration of mm -hmm. Mayor Jones, but the guilty verdict in Minneapolis. Yes. What was going through your mind at the end of the day yesterday? Is I'm, I'm sure it was hard to get your mind to just stop racing. Yes. And I had said to uh, some of my church staff, I have so many feelings I can't keep up. And that's just the check in from my mind. I haven't checked in with my heart, I haven't checked in, <laughs> you know, with my body. Uh, and as you have heard, by the end of the day, we lost a baby girl in Columbus, Ohio, to police violence. Micaiah Bryant's uh, voice, blood, body, her 
her beauty continued to cry out, her spirit cry out for me. And so, yes, to start the day honoring and celebrating a mayor with whom I have worked and loved and called my mayor since 2017, <laughs> uh, when she ran first, to end yesterday crying out for a baby girl in Ohio was, in a word, stressful. Mm. I, I am distressed by the terrorism of police violence and deeply, deeply um, determined to address it from every, every perspective I possibly can. It feels like in some ways for every step forward, there's another mm -hmm. step back. But, but I'm curious yeah. how you feel about St. Louis. I mean, now we do have, Tashara Jones is our mayor. The, there's a, a newly progressive uh, board right. that, that has a, a very fragile majority, but, but they're in charge sure. of the Board of Aldermen. Do you That's feel right. like St. Louis is, is making progress on some of the issues that you're passionate about? I believe so. And, and I believe even outside of elected positions that that has been the case uh, since the Ferguson uprising brought these issues to the surface globally. Um, there are people like the organizers for Close the Workhouse, that campaign, which was in its at least third iteration. Uh, there's been a campaign to attempt to close um, the medium security institution for almost 30 years. Mm. So we have not stopped. I would say since the famous Missouri Compromise, uh, since the Dred Scott, uh, Harriet Scott case, we have not stopped working and striving. What we have been able to do is to gain bit by bit more and more political power, which continues to only be a tool for our uh, what, what we would hope to see, which is our complete political freedom, total community control. But yes, this, the strides that are being made are being brought more and more to the surface and further and further into the seats of power. So the inauguration, Tashara's win alone, those things are a key for us. Um, but we know that we have long been banging at the doors um, to see our freedom and self-determination for sure. So I should mention, in addition to being the pastor now of St. John's Church, you're also mm -hmm. the co-founder and chair of Action St. Louis. That's the enormously effective yes. activism group here in the city. Yes. What do you see as the intersection between your faith in God and pushing for political change here mm -hmm. on earth? Yeah, I, I believe, uh, so I'm a Christian and my, my values center on the life of a Palestinian man named Jesus. And Jesus in my tradition is a person who is fully God in all power and made the decision to draw near to his favorite things, uh, which are people, uh, the creation. And so Jesus calls us to care about the physical, and in movement work, my ministry is to live out the movement mandate, uh, which is given to us by activist Mary Hooks in Atlanta, Georgia. And that is to avenge the suffering of our ancestors, to earn the respect of generations to come, and to be willing to be transformed by the work of shifting the material conditions of oppressed people. Now that to me is a mission so the way that that reads to a preacher is, yes, that's a movement mandate, but it's also my ministry mission. My church, as you said, is located on North Grand, and I've, I've seen the impact of systemic divestment from not just the area, 
but the people who live there. I've seen the association with poverty to lack of ability to contribute to the economy. I've seen the assumption that uh, erasing black skin, erasing black people is the only way to guarantee public safety. I've seen how police basically make equal black folks and danger, black people and crime. And I know that unless more believers, that is more people of faith, take serious God's mission, which is to see humanity empowered and liberated, unless we take that more seriously, then we, we'll have, it won't be worth it to work for something outside of the earth because God so loved the earth that they came on down and desire to dwell on it. So the intersection is not so much two uh, streets or two paths crossing as much as there is no intersection. And I'm only walking down one road. <laughs> I understand you also helped to launch the bail project here in St. Louis. Do you think Christians have been too unwilling to turn the other cheek, too unwilling to give people second chances? Yeah, that, there is a difficulty with what we would call um, a capitalist Christianity, Confederate Christianity, this idea that we can take scripture and uh, Christian scripture and even some of the quotes from Jesus and people that uh, wrote the founding documents of the church. Uh, we take those and we presume them to be, to explain to us that a person only gets one chance and when people make mistakes, they have to be damned to hell. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that more uh, evangelical conservative churches uh, tend towards a doctrine of uh, something that's descended from the bootstraps theory. Mm -hmm. If you can't get it together on your own, then you don't deserve uh, public services. You don't deserve assistance for rehabilitation. And this idea that prison might rehabilitate when the truth is it only cages people. And if you put someone in a cage, are you not calling them, naming them an animal? Um, we have movements that even demand animals be freed from cages. Uh, how much more uh, should a person be freed who might, one, be innocent of the crimes of which they're accused, or two, need attention that they cannot get in solitary in a cage um, at all? So yes, I think founding the Bell Project for me was just, just another step and my belief, my seeing ministry and movement as the same thing, because obviously, and we've, I'm sure y'all have talked about this, the cash bail system is so predatory mm -hmm. and it is so steeped in classism that it may be the easiest on-ramp for the average person, the average believer from whatever, wherever their doctrine lands politically. It can't be denied that to prey upon people for their lack of income is simply wrong. Our guest today is the Reverend Michelle Higgins. She's the new pastor at St. John's Church. That's on North Grand. Um, Reverend Higgins, I understand you grew up in a church family. Your father is the pastor at South City Church. You were the worship arts director there for seven years. What was it like growing up with your dad as a pastor? Oh, well, I, you know, the funniest part and the most embarrassing part of being a preacher's kid is that anything you do might land in a sermon. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did you do a lot of things that landed in a sermon? 
I think as the baby in the family, I ended up being the most entertaining person in the family. And see, and my sister used to warn me. She used to say, now listen, you got to be careful because uh, daddy go find out. And he, he will preach about you. May not say your name, but everyone will know. This is a story about Michelle. Uh, so I may have been both destined and doomed to take on... <laughs> I understand the your family sister. Business. Your sister's actually uh, she's involved with the ministry as well. Uh, she's a worship she leader. Is. Yes, yes, at Central West End. Yeah, we're so proud um, that all four of us. My mom calls us Levites. Um, as a Bible, it's a Bible. Joke. You're called to the priesthood. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You got it. So, what? Uh, uh, when did you feel that calling yourself? Mm, I must have been, I guess, six or seven when I felt uh, something churning within me that was deeply pastoral. Um, now, I've always had a mouth, uh, but that doesn't mean that you're a preacher just because you're not <laughs> Sadly, afraid to that's talk. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish more people knew. I, I wish <laughs> more people knew. Um, but what is true is that I, I felt a yearning to speak up despite great risk when I began uh, losing a lot of my play uncle's um, loved ones, uh, and especially people in the worship arts community. When I was younger, uh, many, many of our queer beloved were lost to HIV and AIDS. Mm. And these people were active in congregations. They were writing songs. I mean, I remember the authors of beloved gospel songs passing away without support, um, without someone holding their hand and singing them into glory, as we say, because they were queer, uh, because they had AIDS. So what, what I didn't name or couldn't articulate at the time was watching black people tokenize other black people, watching black people um, let go of each other because of a queer identity. And even as a young girl, I realized this is not caring for each other. This is not solidarity. And the excuse that was given by the people in power for literally casting aside their dying brothers and sisters and family, the excuse that was given was that Jesus hates gay people. Mm -hmm. And that did not sit well with me. Never had. It never did. Despite the fact that um, at the time before a number of doctrinal strides, my family was considerably conservative. Hmm. But it, it just didn't sit with me. And that's what I feel what we would call was the Holy Spirit's beam. The same information that enslaved black people had as white folks taught a truncated gospel. And yet somehow the black church was born in spite of white oppression. That is the same spirit that I felt guided me um, into a love and understanding and embracing of the queer community, even though I was being taught something different. So your calling to be a minister was almost tied up with also the idea of, of changing the church. You didn't just want right. to be in charge of it. You wanted to, to fix That's it. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like the church yeah. has made strides on that front? I certainly do. I certainly do. I, obviously, there is so much further to go. I mean, you'll see some of the arguments with faith leaders around even the Equality Act. You know, we need more people of faith to to affirm it and to move forward, to push and say it is time to pass the Equality Act. But in our houses of worship, you will find doors open arms open, you will find what we say the doors of the church are open, no matter how you identify, mm. 
And so we see the trans community, uh, gender nonconforming community more embraced. And in my church, I stand up and I preach, you know, pretty traditionally black church all over the place. And there is no question uh, when I identify God as a, as three people who long to see a liberation for everyone and no judgment for how people choose to live. So yeah, I think the strides are definitely there. And in many, in many ways, it is because of a generational reconciliation. Um, there is just, there's more generational community mm-hmm. in church. You see older folks, younger folks learning from each other, pushing through arguments, <laughs> uh, but knowing that deep down, all of us have to humble ourselves to a higher power. And a person of any faith would say, that's what keeps us strong, is that none of us believe that any of us has the exact absolute right information. So Reverend Higgins, in our final minute here, there is one last thing I wanted to make sure to ask you about, and mm-hmm. and that's that your predecessor at St. John's Church was the Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson. Um, yes. He was there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Is it intimidating coming in, trying to fill shoes that big? <laughs> this is a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a one-word answer there. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I mean, basically, yes. I, I do want to make plain how I deeply love and respect uh, Reverend Dr. Wilson. Miss him dearly. Oh, we miss him so sorely. And uh, have his full support. And that is a blessing. That's an honor to have the support of your predecessor and to know he's a phone call away. He's a text message away. He's a 13-hour drive to D.C. away. <laughs> and that's, that's been a beautiful thing. And he has never told the church never said, and my church members have never spoken against um, my activism. I'm an abolitionist. Um, I am serious about trans rights. And all of those things have been welcomed. Mm -hmm. And that is, it shouldn't be so rare, but I think this testimony of St. John's hiring me, calling on me, and then supporting me and amplifying me as I am, not calling me too much, not saying tone it down, that itself is a testimony that the church is changing. Well, the Reverend Michelle Higgins, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing just a bit about your story and and, uh, your perspective. Thank you. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.